Well, inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 42. We will sing verses 1 and 2 together to the tune of Jesus, the very thought of thee. I would certainly point out, and perhaps not necessarily, not necessary, but when we read, sing together, as in its thirst a fainting heart. Now, you know what a heart is? It's spelled H-A-R-T. It's a male deer, all right? I don't want anybody to think, ah, oh, the pastor's at it again. He misspelled heart, all right? But this refers to a male deer. The imagery is a male deer who, who is thirsty and longs for that brook where his thirst can be quenched. And the psalmist says, that's how we ought to feel about God. I want to draw near to God. I, I want, I'm passionate about uh, drawing near to him here in this psalm. So if you're able, please stand with me and, and let us sing this psalm together in calling one another to worship. to sing my great Redeemer's praise. May God help us to use the one tongue that we have to praise Him, but oh, to have a thousand to give Him praise. 133.
us pray. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are this Lord's Day morning to be assembled again before you as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge and rejoice to confess that it's because of your gracious, loving kindness and tender mercy that we are able to do so and have the desire to do so. For while we were in our former sin and rebellion against you and deserving only the wages of eternal death, you gave us mercy instead of wrath. You gave us new life in Christ. You granted us faith in him by the power of your living and active word and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So now, as we unite together in this service to offer you praise and true spiritual worship, we confess that we are always in need of your grace to be able to rightly glorify your name. So, Father, we ask that you would be pleased to be present among us and that we would be led by the Holy Spirit and that Christ will be exalted as your word is read and sung and proclaimed this day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now in your hymns of grace, 375, I think for most of you, I sent you a link to this hymn, because it's a familiar words, but uh, not a tune, but I think it's a tune that you can pick up easily, and I trust you listen to it before... Uh, this morning, I won't ask for a show of hands, but uh, I did send you a link for many of you. If you don't have the internet, I didn't. So 375, take my life and let it be. Rachel, if you'll play all the way through it, and then we'll get a better idea.
Our consecutive reading today is Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And as you're turning there in your Bible, you'll remember that chapters 5, 6, and 7 is that section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And just before the sermon, we read at the end of chapter 4 that large crowds were following Jesus. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down and began to teach them. And then you'll recall at the end of chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, last week we read in verses 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Today here in chapter 8 we see that as uh, Jesus comes down from the mountain, there are still large crowds following And at the end of the chapter, we see a different crowd that also recognizes the authority of Jesus, but they just want him to go away. And in between, we see the authority of Jesus on display in different ways. The leper and the centurion both had great faith because of Jesus' authority, and the disciples in the storm on the lake had a feeble faith that Jesus could do something to save them, They didn't know he had that kind of authority over all nature. And we see also that even the demons recognized his authority. Oh, may God grant that none among us here would be like this crowd at the end who rejected Jesus because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So Matthew chapter 8, hear now the word of the living and true God. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, 
he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Well, then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Well, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. It made you wonder, what did they think he was going to do for them? They didn't know he was going to do what he did. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. This morning as we go to prayer, once again, we want to pray for the Heritage Reformed Baptist Church there in Canton, Ohio. Uh, Many of you might remember years ago, in fact, 20 years ago, we had oversight of this little group, and and now they're getting ready to celebrate their 20th anniversary as a constituted church. Time goes by so quickly. So we rejoice with them and what God is doing in their midst, and so let us Seek our God together, especially remembering them in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we approach you this morning, we do so recognizing your authority over all things. Father, we have been reminded from reading your word this morning that you have authority. You have authority over nature. You have authority over the physical well-being of others. You you have authority over our lives. You are our Lord. You have authority over the enemy, the demons, and Satan and his host. And, And therefore, Father, as we approach you, we do so with a sense of humility because you are the one who is over all things. And yet we thank you that we can approach you as our Father, who loves us and cares for us far more than perhaps we can even comprehend or think. Father, we thank you for the opportunity on this day to gather to worship you. And we pray that you would draw near to us in this worship service. But 
We pray as well for all those who will meet, who are faithful in proclaiming the Word of God. And we think especially of the Heritage Reformed Baptist Church. We thank you for our relationship with them over the years. We thank you for the way that you have kept them and now provided for them elders to oversee them. And Father, how we pray that you'll continue to use them for your glory and honor. We know that one of their requests is that God would raise up more men who perhaps would serve in the eldership or the diaconate. And we pray that in accordance to your will, that you might provide for them in days to come. We pray that you might bless the the preaching of your word. We pray that you would be with Pastor Waters as he has much of that responsibility. Help him to faithfully study the word of God, draw near to him, and help him to feed the flock there in Canton. Father, we know that there are some young men in their midst who are aspirants for the ministry, and we pray that you would give them wisdom as they give them guidance and direction. We pray that you would raise up young men who will either stay there and be a part of that assembly or perhaps go out and seek to plant churches or come along beside others who are laboring in word and in doctrine and prayer. And Father, we pray that you would uh, be with these young men. May they be diligent in their studies. May they be diligent in keeping their own hearts. And Father, we pray that you might use them for years to come for your glory and honor. Father, we we think of those who uh, are not with us this morning, some who are because of sickness. We pray for our sister Janet, that Father, you would heal her. We pray that you would give her relief from this back pain. Uh, And Father, we pray that you will draw near to the Browns even during this time. We would also be reminded of Pam Rawls, mother and we're not sure what her situation is even today but father we pray that as your will is done in her life that you father will be glorified and honored be with pam and john as they care for her give them wisdom father we thank you that she's one of your children and we have the blessed hope and the assurance that to die is gain to die is to go into the presence of almighty god and so father again just be with them Draw near to us. May the Spirit of God come and and help us to rightly understand your word and then to rightly apply it to our hearts and lives. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your Trinity hymn books again, turning that familiar hymn, number 700, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The passage we look at this morning, uh, that's what God says to his children. Trust me and you'll be happy in Jesus Christ. 700 in the Trinity hymn book. If you're able, please stand with me as we sing.
Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first commandment that God gave to the children of Israel was, You shall have no other gods before me. And Moses then moves on after giving them the Decalogue and tells them something about what that looks like in a believer's life. And there are two pillars that this commandment rests upon for us. The first pillar is this. The Lord is God the Lord, He is one. There is only one God, and He is Lord. And the second pillar, you might recall, was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all your might. On these two pillars rests the command Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Moses then goes on to tell his hearers that they were to speak these things to their children. And they were to live these things out before their children. And if they did, God told them he would give them cities that they did not build, houses filled, which they did not fill, cisterns dug that they did not dig, plants and vineyards that they did not plant, they would know the, the favor of God upon their lives. Now Moses comes, starting in verse 16, having set all that before them, and he has a word of admonition that now follows. And that word of admonition we find there in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massa. You should diligently keep the commands the Lord your God and his testimonies, and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. We'll stop our reading there. In this admonition of, of these verses that I've just read in your hearing, we shall break it open with three headings. First of all, we will notice an explanation. Secondly, we will see a demonstration. And then finally, 
and application. So we have these three simple points to help us open up this admonition. An explanation, a demonstration, and then application. So notice with me, first of all, an explanation. An explanation to the admonition given to us in verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What exactly does this admonition mean? It was given to a people who have been given clear directions by God as to what His will is for them as they live in the promised land. But this admonition was, don't put him to the test. Now, now, as we seek to get an understanding of what is forbidden, there are two things to notice. First of all, the broad meaning. The broad meaning. What does it mean? And then secondly, we will notice together a specific example. So first of all, the broad meaning. What is forbidden? Well, the thought expressed is that of not trying or provoking the Lord your God. Do not do that which places God in the position to fulfill His threats. Do not put God in the position to fulfill his threats. Look over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here again, the word of God, starting in verse 25. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly, and make idols in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, God, the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. That's a threat. You're going to go in this land. You know how I want you to live. You know my will for you. And if you turn against it, and if you do evil in the sight of the Lord, if you build idols... I will utterly destroy you. You will not live long in that land. That's pretty frightful. That's a threat. And when we come to chapter 6 and verse 16, Moses is saying, Don't you try God. Don't you provoke Him. To that anger. Second Kings, you don't need to turn there, but Second Kings 17:17, 17, 17, when Israel 
ends up being taken captives by the Assyria, we read these words. They caused their sons and daughters to pass through fire, to practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. You see, they did that which was evil. And God is provoked. And they experience His judgment. But perhaps to explain what this admonition is in a way that you might understand better, I might illustrate it this way. If, if you've been a parent, you know there are times, at least for most of us, maybe there's an exception, when your children will test you. And so you've got little Junior, he's three years old, and you've got him sitting there in the kitchen floor as you're preparing a meal, and his vision is to open up one of the cabinets and just pull everything out. And you can see that in his eyes. And he goes to reach for that cabinet. And you look at him and say, no, uh, no, no. Don't open that cabinet. If you open that cabinet, mommy's going to have to smack your little hand. And then you get busy cooking doing whatever you're doing there in the kitchen. And little Junior looks up with that sweet, innocent smile. Really? And he goes for that cabinet. Because he wants to test you. Will you really smack his hand? Would you really do that? This sweet little child of yours with this adorable smile? You, would, you wouldn't smack his hands, would you? So he reaches for that cabinet, even though he's... And he's even looking. He's got, he knows. He's been, he, he understands. He's not, he's not ignorant. He knows. I'm not to open up that cabinet. In fact, you can tell by the way he's looking up at you as he's sort of moving that hand that he's testing you. He opens it up and he pulls. You did it! <laughs> and he begins to cry like, oh my, I, I didn't know that was going. Well, yes, you did. You've been warned. You've been warned. And, and that's the admonition here. You're going to go into this promised land. You're going to have cities you didn't build and, and houses you didn't feel, uh, fill. And, and you're going to have vineyards you didn't plant and, and wells with water that you didn't... Di you're going to have all this. But don't you test God. You know what He wants you to do. You know what His will is. He's made it clear. You, you can't plead ignorant. So don't you test Him. It's a reminder that, that God knows. God's watching. He, he's aware of every word, every action. And you ought not to test Him. Now if you look here at verse 16, that, that's sort of a broad a broad meaning of this admonition. But, but we have a specific example he says, you should not put the Lord your God to the test 
as you tested him at Meza or Maza. Here's a, here's a specific example. Moses reminds them of what was done at Maza. The word Maza means tested. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and he refers us back to Exodus chapter 17. If you, if you go back to Exodus 17, we get a better understanding of what exactly he's talking about. Exodus 17. Now, now, to put this all in the context, the children of Israel have left Egypt. God has brought them out of bondage. He has parted a Red Sea so they can walk through on dry ground. He, he has provided for them a pillar of fire by day and a, and a cloud by night to guide them along the way. He, he's provided them with manna from heaven. He, he's been very good to them in providing for them. But then we read here in Exodus 17, verse 1, Then all the congregations of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people's thirst there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us? and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to this people a little, a little more and they will stone me? And then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold... I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrels of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here's what he's referring to. These people, God had taken care of them. He's provided for them. And what do they do? They begin to quarrel and they begin to think, God doesn't, he's brought us out of Egypt just to kill us. We're going to die of thirst. And they began to question the goodness and the care of Almighty God who's promised to take them to the land of promise. Here's an example of testing God. Not trusting God. Not, not believing God. Not following what He has said and believing His Word. Here's an example of testing God. They doubted God. They questioned God. They wondered, is God's love and care for us real? Or is He just going to kill us? 
See here, they were, they were accusing God of forsaking them. Of forsaking them in the wilderness and having them die of thirst. Well, that's the explanation. That's what we mean by this admonition. Do not test the Lord your God. Well, that leads us then to say something about a demonstration. A demonstration. And and to see the demonstration of this, who better to follow after than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? Jesus Christ apparently had been studying the book of Deuteronomy. And he had it in his own head so that on an occasion he uses these things to defeat the enemy. For, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Most of you, I trust, are familiar with this section of Scripture. Christ is in the wilderness. He's been led up there by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And the devil seeks, seeks to tempt him some three times. But, but for our occasion, we'll just notice the second one. Verse 5. Verse 5. And then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. That is, at the very highest point of the temple. And he said to him, If you are, and I believe we could translate that since you are, I mean he's sort of buttering up a little bit, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then even Satan can quote Scripture. Satan quotes Psalm 91, but he takes that out of context. But he quotes it nonetheless. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Just fall down. Fall from this high point. And God has promised He's going to come along and and pick you up. He's not going to allow you to get hurt. And in doing this, they will see your glory. They will see that you are the Son of God and recognize that. Cast yourself down. And how does Jesus reply? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, what Satan was trying to do was to get Christ to circumvent God the Father's will. God the Father sent Him into this world to be a ransom, to give His life a ransom for many. God the Father sent Christ Jesus to die on the cruel death of the cross. He will be exalted by and by. But in God's time and in God's way. And Satan is saying to him, let's hurry it up a little bit. Let's let others see your glory now. 
Cast yourself down. Let the angels come down from heaven and scoop you up so that you're not injured in any way. And in that, they will see your glory, that you are the Son of God. And Christ answers him, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. I know the will of God for my life I will not go past it. I will not circumvent it. I will not ignore it. I will do as the Father's will. And I will give my life dying on the cross. I will not provoke my God by putting Him to the test. I will obey my Father's will. Is what He's saying. Here's a demonstration of this admonition by our Lord Jesus Christ. I will do everything according to my Father's instruction. Putting the Father to the test is to do things differently than He has commanded. You see, the temptation at the end of the day for Christ was to do something apart from the Father's will. And He would not do it. So that's very quickly a demonstration of this admonition. Well, that leads us going back to Deuteronomy 6 to the application. The application. And the application of all this comes to us in verses 17 and 18. The, admonition, the application to the admonition comes to us in two parts. There's direction, direction given, and then secondly, motivation to follow. Direction given and then motivation to follow. So notice the direction. You should diligently Keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. You should do right. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. You see, Moses presupposes that the people he is now speaking to Know the will of the Father. You know what He said to you. You know He said to you, have no other gods before Me. That's been a clear direction given to you. You know that in opening up that very command, you're to recognize that, that He is the Lord God. He is one. He has authority over all things over your life. And you are to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. His direction is clear. His instruction for your life is clear. You understand these two pillars upon which this commandment rests. You, you've been 
You've been spoken to by God. God has given you His direct revelation. You, you stood there at Mount Sinai. You heard Him speak. It was a frightful and terrifying experience. But God said to you, don't have any other gods before me. God has said to you, do not make idols. God has said to you, do not commit adultery. God has made His will for your life very clear he's given you his commandments he's given you his statutes he's given you his testimony god will make his will clear to you when god says this is how the tabernacle was to be built that's how the tabernacle was to be built when God says you're to use a certain cloth in, 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 in building the tap, you're to use that cloth. When God says you're to use so many rings, you're to use so many rings to hang the curtains. When, when God says you're to sacrifice a certain animal for this, you're to sacrifice a certain animal. God has made His will clear. God has given you His direction. He has told you how He is to be worshipped. Worship Him in that way. He has told you what your social behavior should be like. How you should treat others. What is marriage. How we should treat one another in our homes. God has made His will clear. You have His revelation. When God makes His will known, you should treasure it. You should value it. You, you should obey it. You are not an ignorant people. You're not left to guess and wonder what God wants you to do. Nor are you to cast off what He has told you. When God speaks... It's an imperative for you to hear, for you to understand, for you to obey. This is how you're to live your life. Obey it. You should be diligent to keep the commandments, the testimonies, and the statutes. You should do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. And so Moses is looking at this gathering of people. And basically the challenge is this. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do what God tells you to do? Do you know what God requires? Remember your forefathers. God told them, do not make idols. What did they do? They made idols. God says, do not commit adultery. They committed adultery. God said, don't follow after other gods. They followed after other gods. And what was the result? And you can imagine Moses talking to this crowd of people and say, look at the wilderness. 
There are bodies strewn throughout the wilderness that are dead because they would not obey God and trust Him. Now, what are you going to do? You're about ready to go into that promised land. When you're tempted, when you're tempted to desire, to the desires of the flesh, do you know what God wants you to do? Do you? Do you know what God requires of you with regard to your relationship with others of the children of Israel? Are are you acquainted with that? Do you know what God expects out of you with regard to how you walk with others who are a part of this great community? Do you know what He wants from you? Do you know what He requires of you in your home? Do you understand how God expects you to behave in your house? Do you understand that? Do you understand what what God has to say with regard to things such as money? Do do you understand what God has to say with regard to things such as sex and, and material possessions? Do you understand that? The children of Israel would have to confess, we do know. And then Moses said, do it then. Do it. Go into this land and be obedient. The sad thing is, what does history show us? They didn't. They still didn't. How sad. And yet, what about us? Do you know what the Lord requires of you? Do you understand what God says concerning how you ought to live in this world? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, and for some of you when you go to work, do you understand what God expects from you as to how you're to live? Do you understand what God expects from you as far as the community of believers that He gathers together and our relationship to one another? That we're to love each other? We're to encourage each other? Do you understand that responsibility? Do you understand what God has given and told us concerning things, especially in this generation, uh, things like marriage. Do, do you understand what God says a marriage is? It's between a husband and a wife. I, I, I get a little leery. I, I watch some of these game shows, and now all of a sudden I, got, I watch these game shows where it's, well, this is husband and husband playing against two best friends. Husband and husband. What does that mean? That means, you know what? We've decided we're smarter than God. And this is how things ought to be. Do you understand what God tells you and how you ought to live? It, it, it reminds me, we need to be in God's Word. God's given us everything we need in His Word to live in this world as we ought so that it is good and pleasing in His sight. Is my life good and pleasing in God's sight in every area of my life? Am I obedient to Him? 
We need to bring ourselves and our lives to the Word of God and see how we measure up. This is what I ought to be as a churchman. This is what I ought to be as a husband. This is what I ought to be as a citizen. This this is what I ought to be as an employee or an employer. This is what God commands of me. This is His will. And sometimes we will say, well, you know, I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to go in this direction. Even though it's contrary to the way God's told me to live, I'm going to do this. And now we're putting God to the test. You really got to bring judgment upon me? Be careful. Listen, I don't say all this so that some of you will wallow in guilt. I say all this because I want you to live as God wants you to live. I want you to enjoy Him, to know His favor and goodness. And if God's showing you areas of your life where you're putting Him to the test, I'm going to do my own thing. I know what His Word says, but I'm going to go in this direction. I, I know what His commandments say, but, but I think I'm just going to ignore that commandment. I'm going to cast it off for a while. If God has shown any area in our lives where, where we're not living as we ought, Don't wallow in guilt. Go to Him for forgiveness. He's ready to forgive. God's ready to forgive. So that's the direction. God's Word's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It guides us how we ought to live. And believe me, if we as believers would obey Him, much of the misery and disappointment and sadness and grief would be gone if we obey Him. Well, that's the direction. What's the motivation? Notice what he says. Verse 18, You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord Lord swore to give your fathers. You know what he's saying? Blessing comes when we obey. Right? Now, you might want to write this formula down because it's very complex. Okay? You might just, you know, need to think about it for the next three weeks. And what, what exactly did... You ready? Blessing comes when we obey. Judgment comes with disobedience. You get that? It's a pretty simple concept. Do we believe that? Blessing comes when we obey. Judgment for disobedience. And Moses could say again, look at the bodies in the wilderness. You'll find this to be true. You'll find this to be true. Moses is looking at these people as they're getting ready to go into the promised land and, and he's saying... Have you learned the lesson? Have you learned? Will you test God? Will you obey Him? Blessing or curse? Blessings comes with obedience. Curse with disobedience. And sometimes we as believers 
sort of look at God like that little infant, that little three-year-old. Really? You're not going to do anything to me, are you? No, not me. Don't test the Lord your God. And so, we have a wonderful practical lesson here given to us in His Word. And the challenge of it is this. Are you doing what God has said? Are you obeying His will? Well, I don't know His will. What is God's will from Oh, yes, you do. The first one is this. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. I am your Lord. I am your Master. Be obedient. May God help us. Maybe you're here this morning and you, 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 you've heard all this and maybe your attitude is, I'm still going to do my own thing. I don't want to follow God's will. I don't want to do what He told me to do. I think I have a better idea. I think I have a better plan. I think my way of doing things is far better. If that's something of your attitude, you're demonstrating that, my friend, your heart is far from God. In all likelihood, you don't know God. Well, but I'm living this way and nothing bad has happened to me. I'm behaving this way and nothing terribly bad has happened to me but you know you know deep down you're miserable because you're not obeying what God says and your need is to know him through his son Jesus Christ and and even today he stands ready to save all that come to him in faith and repentance so the warning is this do not test him but obey him And do that which is right and pleasing in His sight. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, You know our hearts. You know every individual that's here this morning. And Father, we pray that our desire to follow You is a sincere desire. Father, we pray that we would be a people who are obedient to Your will. Father, if there are areas in our lives where we know that we've not been obedient as we ought, we, we have sort of tried to dance around or cast off Your clear direction because it was inconvenient or it was too difficult or hard, Oh, Father, we pray that we would see that that's a fool's errand. But that, Father, we would be diligent in in seeking to let Your Word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so where, where there is disobedience, where we have not sought to do that, which Your Word is very clear we ought to be doing, May, Father, we confess that for what it is. It's sin. And may we forsake it. Father, we pray that as Your people, we would be encouraged to continue to do Your will, even in times in which it's difficult. Help us to live as we ought to live in the workplace, in the classroom, in homes, out in society. 
so that we would shine as lights in the midst of darkness, that others would see your good work in our life and glorify our Father who is in heaven. But Father, there may be some who are here who have no desire. Their, their hearts are far from doing your will. Oh, Father, may you arrest them in their sin. May they see that they deserve your wrath, and yet in your grace you've provided them a Savior in Jesus Christ. And may they flee to him even this day so that they might be reconciled to God and then find it a delight to do his will. So, Father, we pray that you would take your word and do a work that only you can do. And in that way, you would receive all the glory and honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, your Trinity hymn books, 446, comes from Psalm 1. That man is blessed who, fearing God from sin, restrains his feet who will not stand with wicked men and shuns the scorner's feet. The Lord, verse, the fifth verse, the Lord will guide the righteous well. Their way to Him is known. The way of sinners far from God will surely be overthrown. 446. You're able, please stand with me as we sing.
having lunch together and then the afternoon service. Yeah. Mm -hmm.